Welcome to this edition of On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow at Tarleton State University, and we're glad to be back on the air here after almost a month of being away. I had some uh, things I had to take care of with the family and with uh, other matters that made it very challenging to record during that period of time. Uh, But we are back, and we are back for a weekly show that focuses on politics at the local, state, national levels, international sometimes. Uh, and really looking at government and policy issues and the dynamics of politics in and around uh, how we govern, what are the challenges in governing, as well as uh, current policy issues. So we are back and we're glad you're joining us. You can listen to us, of course, right here on KTRL 90.5 FM. Uh, We also stream at this time as well, 12 noon on Sundays at tarletonradio.com. And if you missed the show, you know from week to week, and you can certainly go back and look at our archives, which are available on SoundCloud, uh, and we're available as a podcast that you can download as well. And I will be starting again, posting related articles uh, to the things and topics that we discuss on the show each week on our Facebook page that's on politics with Eric Morrow. So here we are right in the middle of a legislative session. The 87th Texas legislature is uh, churning away uh, in Austin uh, toward, uh, we're under 60 days now to the end of at least the the, the regular session. Uh, and it's it's uh, always great uh, in, in terms of, of the political dynamics, especially in, in Texas and the things happening, uh, you know, to look at it. And we're going to be looking at a very current issue related to voting and some of the bills that have past or are being considered related to voting coming out of the general election, but that's in the second half of the show. And for this first half of the show, we are very pleased to have uh, with us today uh, Jane Hickey, who is here locally in Stephenville and Erath County, uh, but has a world of political experience and background, uh, at least in the realm of politics, uh, which does relate, as we'll get to, as you'll see in a moment in the interview, uh, to uh, looking kind of to the inside. What goes on behind the scenes? What are some of the challenges and issues that are happening right now as people in Austin are trying to work through critical issues and govern here in the state of Texas? Uh, But before we we ask her a few questions, I want to welcome her by uh, giving you a little bit of background, uh, being trained as a lawyer and then working in county and state government. Uh, She then was the director of the governor's office in the Ann Richards administration uh, and in appointments to boards, commissions, judgeships, and then served as the director of the Office of State and Federal Relations in D.C., Uh, she also was a private sector lobbyist in Austin and D.C., followed by crisis communications in New York uh, with the career that was over 34 years working with Ann Richards in and out of elected office uh, and, and of course, in the campaign process uh, and, and all that's involved with that as well. Uh, she also worked at the Stanford Center on Longevity and edited a book with Henry Cisneros called Independent for Life, Homes and Neighborhoods for an Aging America. So with that broad experience, especially working with an icon in Texas politics, uh, Ann Richards, uh, we welcome you, Jane, to the show today. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. 
Well, you had a very unique experience. I mean, not many people can can say that, that all of these things combined in terms of your career and the opportunities you had, uh, and, and working, of course, with uh, with Governor Richards for for many many years. Uh, but kind of looking back, because some people may ask, especially in the climate we see today, uh, how, how do you get into politics? I mean, how how does something like this happen, where where it leads you in a in a career like this? Where where uh, you have these kinds of, of experiences. And, and of course, uh, just in our conversations with you and, and with others who know you, knowing how uh, a much uh, you've not only enjoyed this, but of course, here the opportunity for us to talk about it. Uh, but give us a little bit of a background here, what led you into uh, uh, this career and being so engaged with politics uh, throughout that career? Well, uh when I was in college, it was during the Vietnam War, and um, you you, it, you couldn't be on a college campus and not be aware of larger political issues. And when I graduated from college, I had no idea what to do, and I uh, saw a classified ad in uh, the newspaper. And it was for a job working for Planned Parenthood in South Texas uh, on a migrant project. So I did that. And in the course of it, um, met, uh, encountered uh, a woman who was running for governor whose name was Sissy Farenthal, Francis T. Sissy Farenthal. And I, I became... Uh, in charge of county organization, which was meaningless because we didn't have anybody who wanted to run any counties. And uh, <laughs> and in the course of that, I met Ann Richards, who was at the time running Sarah Weddington's campaign for the state legislature. Sarah was a young woman who had argued Roe versus Wade to the United States Supreme Court. These were these were days in Austin, Texas, when it was um, when politics was uh, politics was was fun. Uh, it was the it, it was a it was social. <laughs> It, it was your friends and uh, and and a whole lot of carrying on that was a, that was a really good time. So I think that's probably how most people get into politics is that they know somebody um, that they think they'd like. Yes, and that's uh, uh, it's interesting too because we you know here at Tarleton we've even talked about uh, a degree in political management because this is an area that you often have people who've been involved in politics come back and talk about areas that relate to their uh, what they focused on in politics uh, and and looking at different industries and and so forth, but never looking at it about the career itself. You know, a, a lot of the different. Uh, uh, facets and aspects and the relationships, you know, the things that, uh, that developed. Um, so our show here, you know, is not so much faith is, is focused on politics. I mean, we, we look at a lot of political issues and especially contemporary things, but not just in the present. And as, as we kind of look back, uh, to your experiences and your work with Ann Richards, what, what are some of the, 
uh, the unique aspects of this because she was in uh, many people know her just as being have, having been governor of Texas, but she did so many other things in 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 politics both before that and 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 after as well. And you had that span of your career that was engaged with that. And so, what are what are some of those unique things that that you recall and kind of look back on uh, about her in terms of her engagement with politics and with uh, various issues? Well. Um, uh, she was responsible for my career. We, we worked together for 34 years and, um, uh, I was also responsible for hers. Uh, one time we were interviewed for a book about friendship and, uh, she said, well, we, we just burned the candle at both ends. And, um, and I said, uh, and we took turns being either the gasoline or the matches. Um, it, it was, uh, we were busy. And the issues that occupied her from the time that she first served, uh, she was a housewife. Uh, and <laughs> she had uh, served on the planning and zoning commission. And then the group of people asked her husband, David, if he would run for county commissioner, he turned them down. And he really talked her into running for county commissioner. She worried that it would mean the end of their marriage, um, that it, it would just put too great a strain on it. Um, but he he really thought she would regret not having tried to do it. She ran for county commissioner and um, was successful. She uh, she learned a lot and working in county government probably teaches you as much about um, <laughs> about uh, not only what you can do to be helpful to people. Uh, teaches you how to about roads and drainage and uh, human services and budgeting, but it also has teaches you a lot about the peculiarities of your fellow citizens. Um, at the time, the commissioner's court in Austin was in Travis County was uh, responsible for the county jail and. Um, we had a jail nurse who was a defrock doctor who seemed to believe in the mystical power of the color blue and was, I think, providing uh, drugs of some kind to most of the sedating most of the inmates as a way to control their behavior. And the uh, county uh, doctor that would check on on uh, that would certify pe- deaths. Uh, was storing uh, body parts in mason jars up under the county judge's office. I mean, it was a it was a real learning experience in government to be at that level. Um, she then got elected, and then got elected state treasurer, and she beat, beat a man whose name was Warren G. Harding, and. Um, he was he was a terrible office holder. Um, she did a very good job as state treasurer, and um, 
served while she was state treasurer, John Sharp, now the chancellor of the A&M system, was the controller of, um, and and uh, they they were they were quite a team. Uh, Warren G. Harding would take big sales tax checks that came in from like Sears, which was a major retailer in Texas at the time. And they would, he would put the check in a refrigerator box, a big cardboard box that you would ship refrigerators in. And then he would mail the check in the box off to a central bank and suggested that that you could actually do this digitally. You could you could actually wire transfer money. So she 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 wound up making uh, quite a lot of money for the state of Texas, and um, that led to prominence in um, politically. And she was invited to give a speech to the. National Convention, the Democratic Party. This was 1988. And uh, she did a great job. It was a great speech, uh, not just for the funny parts of it, but uh, the substance of it was really important. Um, and we, um, we went from there almost immediately into the campaign for governor, which was one of the, the, the Democrat primary campaign at the time um, was very important. And it was one of the meanest campaigns that anybody in Texas politics can remember. It was really tough. Uh, and when we ended the primary campaign, she was down to like 26 points positive rating among people. And the general consensus was there was no possible way she could get elected governor. But happily, the Republican candidate was terrible. Uh, it was a really bad, bad candidate. And um, we kept the pressure on. We did a good job, and she handled things well, and she was successful. The At the time she took office as governor, the state was $5 billion in debt, and there were federal court orders that were controlling state agencies from mental health to the prisons to the public school system. So control had to be returned to state government, had to satisfy the federal courts. And then she did, um, she made a major shift in the power of the Texas governor in helping the governor's office do a better job of controlling appointments to boards and commissions and changing the behavior of the people who were on those boards. Barbara Jordan was our ethics advisor, and we did ethics training for the people who served on those boards. And we did um, just general training in how to, how to serve because the people that, that we appointed 
um, were often people who had never, never had that kind of responsibility before. We tried to have service on the boards resemble the population of the state of Texas. So we were appointing fair numbers of women and Hispanics, Latinos, um, African-Americans. But we also looked for not just diversity in who people were, but we looked for what they knew. So I remember uh, on the board of funeral directors that regulated funeral directors, uh, I looked for somebody who had AIDS because at the time, funeral homes weren't, were refusing to bury people who had AIDS. Um, we appointed the victim of a crime to the criminal justice board, woman who'd been attacked in her home by somebody dressed up like a ninja. I can tell you that many, many of the issues that she dealt with, that uh, we in government dealt with, are identical to the ones that we face today. And in thinking about it, I think the major difference is that we saw the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas as an opportunity rather than as a threat. That was singular um, to me in the difference between then and now. Politics was just... Uh, uh, there were the other the other major difference between then and now is that there was a distinction between running for office, winning and losing, and governance. So you ran for you you, you had a campaign and it was as as <laughs> uh, as tough as can be. You won, you lost. You then had to work together in and out of office, you had to work together. Now, it seems like perhaps because of the politicization of the media and the, and the internet, uh, the campaign never ends. So there's much less focus on the skill of governing the responsibilities of an office holder to serve, the collegiality that's required, the comity, and much more about taking the kind of um, no holds barred, win or lose every moment uh, that is a part of a political campaign. Well, you, you say that, and, and it's, it's it's a great insight because we look at some of these very challenging issues that. Uh, legislatures, Texas legislature, Congress—they're—they're—they're they're, they're trying to uh, tackle and 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 how much of an impact that can have uh, beyond the campaigns. Like you're saying, never ends because uh, it's it's setting up for either the next campaign or it's it's that politicization that you're talking about. Um, uh, uh, almost on every issue, uh, and 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 then the challenges, and I, I think this is where I'd like to ask you a little bit about your insight because being uh, uh, assisting the governor in that way and being in in the middle of this, uh, you saw a lot of what had to happen to govern, 
Uh, and, and a lot of times what we, even now what we see in the, in the, in the media is, uh, more of the focus on the politics and who's taking what side and who's opposing and who's saying, well, why you can or can't do that. But, but really in, in the halls of governance, and I, I guess, you know, maybe even more so than in your, uh, uh, time there than now, um, there, there was a lot of exchange, a lot of, of uh, discussions, a lot of, uh, I would say, compromise, I would say. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing some things out there to, to try to, to get your insight here as to what you saw go on to, to, to help people govern uh, and try to find a way through dealing with, with problems and challenges and so on. Um, uh, sometimes, yes, I would assume the politics are, are, are always there, uh, but then sometimes it gets down to it and you've got to make decisions about things. So what, what do you, what, you know, especially right now with the legislative session going on, what was that, um, uh, uh, the, that kind of give and take that, that what was going on between the governor and, and those leading in the legislature uh, to try to get through and get things passed or address critical issues? Well, uh, as you know, uh, the governor in Texas, uh, Texas came about in a time of uh, Jacksonian democracy. So uh, we, we, we didn't want to have a powerful governor, and we do not. Uh, the, the governor's power is in the power to persuade uh, the legislature, uh, the legislative budget board, and the, uh, the um, I, I would say uh, the lieutenant governor uh, that that uh, the governor's policies ought to be enacted. Um, the 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 speaker uh, uh, has has an important role, but in Texas, it, really the lieutenant governor is. Uh, probably the most powerful person office in state government. Um, the The fundamentals don't change. Uh, the fu- fundamental uh, is that people do things for their reasons. They don't do things for your reasons. Um, so the governor's power to uh, persuade members of the legislature that uh, they should go along with what he or she wants um, involves understanding why they would do something that you want them to do. And uh, frequently, uh, these (laughs) these, uh, uh, what they want is indirect uh, it's not directly related to the topic at hand. Uh, Lyndon Johnson was such a master of the political world because he understood absolutely everything about uh, what made a particular member of the legislature willing to go along with what he wanted. Um, uh, Anne had a gift that she was she was um, she was a big draw um, 
there was there was curiosity. It was almost like, you know, people wanted to see a talking dog. They, you know, how could a woman be the governor of Texas? Um, uh, a two-headed cat. I mean, it was just they that helped. Um, but also, she was she was um, she was so smart. She was very funny. So, for example, um, uh, Texas has uh, made a habit over its history of um, mistreating people who uh, who speak Spanish. At one of the one of the groups that we have been hard on, and um, and she would remind people that. Um, she was not the first woman to be governor of Texas. She was the second. The first woman to be governor of Texas was a woman named Miriam Ma Ferguson, who was called Ma because her husband was named Paul. And Paul got impeached for selling pardons to people. And um, Ma famously said she was punishing children for speaking Spanish in the in the schools. And uh, Ma said that if the English language was good enough for Jesus Christ, it was good enough for the little school children of Texas. So they were not about to teach kids Spanish in the public schools. That humor, uh, let's say take an issue like guns, Conceal weapons, an issue that we deal with today. Guns. Well, what should we do? Well, the the National Rifle Association was uh, trying to persuade the governor not to veto a bill that would have allowed co- carrying concealed weapons, and. <laughs> uh, they tried to say it was a women's issue that carrying a concealed weapons would make women more secure, safer. And Anne did veto the bill. And while doing so, she said that nobody could accuse her of not supporting women's rights, but there was not a woman in Texas that could actually find a gun in her purse. Okay. <laughs> which happens to be true, um, <laughs> in my view. Anyway, uh, it, it, what happens inside, the closer that you get to power, the less it has to do with the issue at hand, and the more it has to do with the relationships that exist between the people who are dealing with each other. So if you understand the personalities of the current governor, lieutenant governor, and speaker, then you'll have a very good sense of (laughs) uh, who's in charge and who is uh, uh, likely to be able to persuade others to go along with them. It's early in the session because uh, when things really start to cook, 
is as you get closer and closer to the time when, as they say, the fat lady sings and you get to sine die, meaning without day, and they start literally climbing up and moving the clock back so that they've got time to actually get um, things done. People don't like to act prematurely because uh, they think they might get a better deal on down the road. Uh, so they wait for the they wait for the last minute, and they are chafing with each other at, as we speak about uh, how to deal with the disasters that have befallen the state here recently, and uh, how to fix them. Who's going to pay for it, and uh, who's going to get blamed, and who's going to get credit? <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, I, so I, I've taught uh, uh, classes on public policy and and, uh, and I have to remind students when we, we, we have these classes because we have to remind them that, OK, you know, when you look at it and you look at applied politics and applied research and trying to find solution to problems, that when you move into to politics, you can't ignore of uh, this aspect that you're talking about, which is very much a part of that political environment where people are looking at what they're going to get out of it. They're looking at those relationships and how they're going to benefit them or not long term in terms of their their political aspirations. And uh, and I think this is a part of it that uh, and I'm, I'm hoping this helps our listeners, too, of trying to understand that 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 environment, that it is, uh, there, there's much more to it and much more depth to it than people just trying to come up with good ideas and, 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 and then get, try to get their idea passed through legislation. It's, it's, uh, there's just so many more facets to it in a, um, uh, in a system that we have that, that sometimes we don't want to embrace the messiness of it. You know, it, it is it, because we're human beings. I mean, we, I'm, I'm teaching, uh, uh, political science students right now in terms of research methods and talking about empirical research, uh, which is always a challenge, you know, in, in a lab, it's one thing in the, in the hard sciences and so on. Uh, when you start involving human beings, it, it, there's a lot of things that change, a lot of dynamics there. And, and we see this on display. I mean, in politics, I mean, you saw it firsthand uh, uh, in your in your experience with with someone who was, like I said, an icon, but really, I think, changed uh, in the era that that was the 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 governorship. I mean, changed perceptions about it and changed uh a lot of the different um, ways in which the the public persona of the, of the governor and 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 engagement with issues and wanting to try to affect uh, change and and so forth. So uh, along that line here, and, and just uh, uh, looking at and bringing this forward, you know, you talked about that some of the issues are are, are very much still uh, the same and still in the forefront. Um, uh, one of the the issues, and this is kind of segues into what I'm, I'm going to talk about, at, you know, after our, our interview, but uh, voting. Uh, I mean, we ha- we've had all this this these challenges uh, uh, come out of the last election. Uh, a lot of it is very politically driven. It's become very partisan across the country, as you see states making decisions, um, it, and, and it's not really looking at. Um, 
uh, I know the word voter security is tossed around out there, but when you kind of read the, the dialogue, it's not really talking about what we can do effectively in expanding voting access and what are the limits of resources and, and, and maintaining security. Uh, as you had pointed out, uh, Governor Richards had uh, a very uh, intense focus on differing populations across the state, differing groups of people with different backgrounds and perspectives and so on. And, 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 and you know, and based on that, and, and I don't know, I, you know, I'm not as, as familiar in depth with her, her uh, a focus uh, uh, on, on specific issues like this, uh, but related to, to, to this how politics are on display in, in, in this process of dealing with voting. Um, what do you see are some of the, the challenges that we, that we have in governing today when, when, when issues that relate to basic fundamental rights that we have and, and, and trying to ensure access so that people can exercise those rights, given our population growth, given our complexity of our society. Uh, and then you, we see it get so politicized, you know, where it's not really conversation about the practicality of, of voting access, but much more about, uh, well, this is our, you know, view on it and we need to make changes and others saying, well, no, you're, you're infringing on, on the rights, uh, and access of, of people. Um, uh, to me, that becomes very challenging to our democracy of, of really trying to navigate that in a way that, that, uh, that that kind of honors those rights and, and that adheres to their their significance uh, rather than making it such a political issue. Uh, I'm not I'm not trying to drag us into a discussion on on you know voting rights and all of that, but much more of seeing uh, th- these kinds of challenges as you go back to your first response about getting past campaigns and and actually governing. Uh, in this environment that we see today, uh, to me, it's it's as we call it in uh, in the literature in terms of uh, uh, teaching, you know, federal and even state government. These are kind of cracks in our in our democracy that can widen if we don't navigate them properly, uh, or you know, hopefully we can find some correction at some point in making sure that we we deal with them in the right way. Uh, but certainly a challenge to governance. Well. Um- Two two points. Um, number one, uh, trying to keep people from voting um, is uh, 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 this this new word we're learning: seditious. <laughs> it is un. It is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is. Uh, it is under our constitution. It, it is a, it is a sin. <laughs> we the 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 fight to expand uh, the ability, the the uh, inclusion of uh, people in the ability to exercise that right to vote. Um, Ann and I have a have had uh, a close friend, a woman named Ellen Temple, and she has a new movie that everybody ought to watch. That uh, I think will be shown on KERA on uh, uh, April tenth for the first time. It's a history about uh, Minnie Fisher Cunningham and a documentary about Minnie Fisher Cunningham and the long struggle to get the right to vote for women in Texas. 
Uh, it was it was 19. It was not until 1966 that Texas outlawed the poll tax. Until 1966, you had to pay to vote in Texas. I believe sincerely that the efforts by some to demonize, criminalize um, our idea of the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas is designed to um, try to deter civic participation (laughs) by um, people who are Mexican-Americans. Um, and I believe that the efforts to make it more difficult for people to vote, any people to vote, particularly African-Americans and Mexican-Americans to vote, people who are poor or who have made a mistake earlier in their life, is an effort to uh, try to retain power against the tide of changing a changing population uh, in its demographics. Um, I, 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 I think that is a losing battle, but uh, people hold on to what little privilege they have uh, as long as they possibly can. If you look, for example, here locally, the fact that this county is split into two different congressional districts, the fact that we do not have a polling place that is uh, easily accessible to students in and around the Tarleton campus is a local in our faces example of trying to dilute the power of a concentration of young people and people who are not uh, lucky like me being older and having a nice house and all of that uh, to be in charge. (laughs) Uh, It is so critical that we find ways to help everybody register, vote, participate, and understand that politics is not something out there, ugly, something to stay away from where they're bad guys and good guys and you pick which side you're on and never the two shall meet. Politics is us, all of us. Our government is us, all of us. It touches every aspect of our lives. And we'll be a whole lot better off if we learn how to talk to each other, how to work together, and how to try to solve the problems, continuing problems that we face. It's a community, and uh, Texas is, you know, God bless Texas. God help Texas. <laughs> Somebody said that the history of Texas is the history of Texas is mainly the history of what men do outdoors. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, we all need to help it get better for the future.
Yes, very very well said. Uh, I want an opportunity here before we conclude our our interview. Uh, I know you're very active in the community, and and which is great here for uh, Stephenville and for uh, this region. Um, I wanted you to have the opportunity just to share with our listeners some of the things that you're engaged in, and 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 uh, what your uh, uh, current focus is after this long career in politics and government, but uh, uh, just to, so that, that people know uh, the, the contribution that, that not only you've made in the past in terms of your, your, your work, but uh, how you are involved in, in our community today. Well, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm busy. Our, our church is uh, at St. Luke's, uh, Episcopal Church, which is right next to the campus. And we have a food bank that is, uh, it has, uh, is important. And we have had a a program with uh, uh, students on the campus in terms of food also, and in terms of uh, sort of having a study hall where where I think we also serve food. So uh, I love the community of St. Luke's and and the work that we get to do there. I've been really lucky that the uh, wildlife students do research projects out, out here in the country where I live and getting to see the work that they do with birds and mammals and uh now it's bugs of different kinds and not to mention <laughs> the pastures that they're working on uh that's very exciting and then i have been lucky enough to get to take some classes at tarleton in the art department and uh uh, the fine arts department at Tarleton uh, and the visual arts for me, but of course the music department uh, also is an important part of our church. The music students, uh, we have music students who are our choir. So, uh, you know, we're so lucky, lucky to have Tarleton, uh, uh, the economic engine of this community. We have the, I think we have the, the potential with these very talented young people and the faculty and the leadership of the college, the university, um, to be, for it to be this economic engine of the whole region. And it's very exciting to be to watch it grow and mature, develop. Very, very thrilling. Well, we've certainly enjoyed having you uh, on the program today and, and just engaging with some of these, both the past and the present in politics, which is what we do uh, on this show on a, on a weekly basis. And uh, just to let our listeners know, we, we've been speaking uh, for this part of the show to Jane Hickey, who was a longtime uh, friend and, and assistant to Governor Ann Richards, uh, both in her time as governor and, and, and before and after, and just the insights you provided in understanding some of that and some of the the similarities and differences uh, between that that time and today are 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 very helpful so jane thank you for coming on and we hope we can have you back uh in the in the future 
as well. Uh, we uh, have a general election uh, coming up in the next cycle that will uh, be for statewide offices. And you have hands-on experience with uh, campaigns, uh, especially for the highest office in the state. So I can see that already is a great opportunity uh, to have you back and tell us what it's like uh, when you're out there uh, on the campaign and, and what are some of the, the issues and, and, and challenges that, that you face. But again, thank you for joining us today. Well, Dr. Morrow, thank you. I enjoyed, I enjoyed my time with you. <laughs> and thank you for doing well, this very show. good well, we're going to take a oh you're you're very welcome we we certainly enjoy it and uh we think it's a contribution to our community and our region uh we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to wrap up the show with a focus on some of the legislation that's moving through the texas house and senate related to voting we'll be right back Politics can be confusing, but On Politics with Eric Morrow has your back. Follow the show on Facebook. Search On Politics with Eric Morrow to stay up to date with the show and all the sources to follow right along. T for Texas is a Texas-based history podcast from historian Dr. T. Lindsey Baker. Find a new episode every Thursday morning wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow, and we're glad if you were able to join us for that first half of the show uh, with Jane Hickey, a friend and assistant to Governor Ann Richards uh, for uh, over three decades uh, with just some great insight into what has transpired, what goes on in that office and related to uh, gubernatorial politics and other areas as well. And so if you missed that first part of the show, I recommend that you catch us on SoundCloud. The show will be uploaded there or download where you get your podcasts. Uh, we don't have a lot of time here for a second segment, so I want to start this issue off and then and we'll give you some updates next week. But as many of you may have heard in the news, uh, especially uh, in the state of Georgia and other places as well, there has been political wrangling over changing voter uh, laws, voting processes, especially after this past uh, general election uh, in 2020, uh, when uh, there were all different concerns coming from uh, different uh, areas. I mean, you know, primarily we're, we're seeing this from Trump supporters and the Trump campaign about uh, voter fraud, voter irregularities, and so forth. Uh, now, the the data that's out there shows that that uh, there was not uh, certainly widespread uh, voter fraud uh, irregularities. Again, you know, some of these processes were changed in the in the years prior to 2020 and approved by state legislator legislators. And so some of that now is in light of COVID, in light of the challenges in the election, are kind of going back and looking at that and saying, okay, what what do we need to change or adjust or tighten up? But as with many other major issues, this has become very highly politicized. And of course, it has happened right here in Texas. Uh, and so I wanted to, to follow up on this with just a little bit of discussion uh, about uh, Senate Bill 7, uh, 
Uh, and then, of course, there's House Bill 6, but Senate Bill 7 has made it through and was approved along partisan lines uh, by the Texas Senate. And the primary changes here in the bill is to counter some of the practices uh, that were done at the local level. Uh, in the past election. So the bill prohibits local election administrators from extending early voting hours. Okay, so like we had some examples, one was in Harris County of a 24-hour voting site. It was available at least one day for 24 hours. Partly the the reason for that was to facilitate people who were working at and dock workers and, and others working different shifts that might be challenged to meet the regular voting hours. Uh, the other was operating drive-through voting centers. Uh, so in high population areas and in kind of response to COVID uh, and trying to limit the numbers of people uh, having to come into voting uh, centers, they provided drive-through voting. Uh, it would also bar election officials from sending out mail-in ballot applications without a voter's request. Uh, among other things with this is it gives partisan poll watchers more access to polling locations. So poll watchers are those who are designated by a party or a candidate uh, to observe at a particular polling site in order to notice any irregularities or any attempts at voter fraud and so forth. So um, uh, regarding the bill itself, uh, I mean, I think that's something that we can get into as we see this legislation move forward in the House and the potential of it passing here in Texas, which I think is is very high at this moment. Uh, But I do want to point out some things that I think we need to be considering in this debate and the one that has become very political, because if you read through a, a lot of the reports and the things coming out of the state legislature, you can access those at Texas. Uh, the Texas legislature online, where you can look up the bills, you can read the bill text, you can read the bill analysis, which I recommend. It always gives a good summary overview of what the changes are. Uh, you can see some of the the, the debate about uh, the bills, uh, but, but it's very clear that this has become politicized because one, you have the constituency in both parties uh, looking at this in different ways. Uh, one looking back at election and saying, well, we 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 had these things out there and we want to put more safeguards in place or or as, as some are saying, you know, they're being accused of is they're trying to limit access to voting. Uh, where and the other side focusing on this and saying, well, that focus that limiting access to voting uh, is a problem. It's a problem because it it, it negatively impacts uh, African Americans, uh, Hispanics, Latinos in Texas, uh, and so both sides have, have lined up in either in opposition or for this. And really, what you're not seeing in the conversation, and this is where I want to point out the impact that politics has on this, is are we actually examining the significant challenges to voting, uh, the security issues with voting, and then how do we find solutions and what are the extent of those solutions that, that we're willing to, to do or to pay for? You know, the voting is expensive. It costs to, given this technology that we use, given all the facets of it, the security aspects of it. And so it's, it's one of those things where, you know, hey, you can't just open it up wide open anywhere, everywhere, online, you know, all of these things that create a lot of security challenges to protect the right to vote. But on the other hand, are there legitimate cases 
of access that need to be addressed. And, and up to this point, we've left that in the hands of, of local officials, certainly within certain boundaries as to what options they had, how they could go about doing it, how there's transparency, how there are checks in place to ensure voter security. And so uh, in this issue here, you don't see those kinds of discussions. You see an attempt to kind of centralize this even more uh, to control it with state law, to give less flexibility on the local level with this idea that it is about voter security. Uh, and so that that's, I think, where uh, my concern is in this, is that the politics are actually affecting the objective look at what does provide access and, and access with security uh, to people in areas across the state that's very diverse and very different. And what I mean by diverse is the challenges of conducting voting in our rural areas compared to urban areas uh, are very different where you have urban areas where there's high concentrations of population and being able to provide enough voting sites that are manned and equipment uh, and being able to accommodate that. Whereas in rural areas, and you're talking about distance that people may have to drive to vote uh, and access to it in that that way, absentee balloting, of course, across the state. There are so many different facets of this that have to be looked at and considered uh, and not really this kind of knee jerk reaction to say, OK, well, we've got some parts of the state doing it this way and other parts doing it that way. And, and we're concerned about security and how they can carry on those things. I mean, those it's legitimate questions. Voter security as you expand voter access and the ways in which voters can access the process. Uh, but it's also a question of, of flexibility to determine where those things can work, where they work well, where they serve the people in terms of providing uh, voter access. Of course, as we know, a lot of this has come out of the crisis of COVID because some of these questions were not even being asked to the extent they are now prior to COVID. And in fact, states, many states, uh, made changes in their voting practices over the last uh, 15 to 20 years uh, in order to provide greater access, in order to integrate more technology, in order to put safeguards in place. Uh, and now because of COVID and because of different ways in which this was approached by local governments, in, especially in Texas. The other dynamic, just very quickly, and this is something we'll come back to, is the involvement of corporations now, of lobbying against states, uh, looking at Major League Baseball and the decision they made in Georgia to move the All-Star game, uh, looking at now the pressure that, that some are calling for corporations to put on the state legislature to stop this process of passing new voter uh, changes to voter laws and so on. When really this is an issue for legislatures, it is an issue for the courts. Uh, because some of this will be challenged in the courts and will be need to be addressed before our next election. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more and we'll update on the status of where uh, voting is, where these voting changes are within the legislature in Texas uh, in our show next week. I want to thank you for joining us this week for On Politics. We're right here each week, Sunday at noon on KTRL 90.5 FM at tarletonradio.com. And we'll look forward to our regular shows each week going forward. And we will see you again soon. Thank you.
This has been a Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from me, Taylor Welch, and me, Carissa Cole. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.